0: Growing up, I wasn't an especially inspired student. I went to public school in rural Pennsylvania from kindergarten through high school. I did pretty well, but nothing really spoke to me until AP Biology in 10th grade. I remember sitting in class while my teacher, Mr. Albright, told us about the adventures of Charles Darwin on the HMS Beagle, about the things he discovered and how this shaped his views on evolution about the adversity he faced from the church and society at that time. That he essentially became a pariah for wanting to share science more broadly and get truth out there into society in a time where society, or at least a select few groups in power, just wasn't ready for it. Because of that class, I chose to go to college to get a good degree in ecology and evolution, and eventually made it to grad school and found a passion for helping others share science more broadly. Mr. Albright has since passed away, but I'll always be thankful for the impact he had on my life. Everyone has a science story, even, or maybe especially, scientists. Science affects each and every one of us. Let's talk about it. From the American Geophysical Union, I'm Shane Hanlon, and this is Sci-Intel. So today I'm bringing you all an episode on the subject that's near and dear to my heart, science and society. It's an admittedly jargony term, but it basically just means connecting science with everything outside of academia or research circles, including science, or at least the recognition of the influence of science in everyday life. I teach science communication to help others share their science in the larger society. So I'm happy today to have an interview from our 2018 annual meeting from two scientists who have made it their mission to share science more broadly. Our interviewer was Greg Ruff. My guests, my two guests in this conversation are Michael Hayes from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, go Huskers, and Roger Polwardy from NOAA. Go fish. Go fish. (laughs) You guys are going to talk about, that's such a broad topic, the role of science in society. If we can make it as broad as possible. But what does that mean to you guys?
1: So in this context, when we think of the role of science in society, there's the public service aspects of it. We have invested a lot of public funds in the development of scientific monitoring and scientific knowledge. and. The realization, I th- and, and uh, Mike can back me up on this for both of us, was that for such a long time we, re- we understood that the expectations of all the work that was being done by scientists was not being realized with societal benefit. It took a long time or people didn't actually incorporate it into their decision making because there were no mechanisms to do that, no guidance on how to do that. So the role however is also to create a small D democratic view of science, which allows all parts of society, both the technologically sophisticated and not, to be able to benefit from this public investment in research.
2: And I would just add that there's so much information that's available now and it just keeps getting more and more uh, available. And it's, it's really about how do you focus that information for the decision maker that, uh, so that they can make the right decisions and change their sphere of the world, their their space, in a way that uh, is meaningful and actually makes a difference. And so, I, I think that's what Roger and I have always tried to do for uh, our long careers. Oftentimes, people do not realize the time and the commitment that it takes to do these things, and so. Um, you you need to make sure that you have a long-term commitment to try to improve these engagements, these interactions with the decision makers. And uh, science sometimes doesn't operate that way. Sometimes it's a three-year project or a a one-year project and and you don't get to this long-term commitment of trying to improve the interactions between society and science. And so we've actually been able to do that over this long period of time, and I think that's when you start to see some progress being made. It's been that long-term commitment. It has been
1: that, exactly the long-term commitment, and then this whole, along with that, the notion that information by itself is not enough. And in fact, the development of information, rigorous or otherwise, is actually the shorter part of the activity. What Mike is describing is that long-term engagement that builds trust with people, but then also allows them to evaluate what you're giving them. So it's not a push in the sense that you're marketing, wow, the world's changing over time, you gotta do something about it. Well, unless you're also giving people a pathway on how to act and as as providing the science that lets them make informed decisions, then all we've given them is another paper. And and, and as we know, that's really critical for knowledge development, but not knowledge practice.
2: I think the public's really looking for humility in, how we provide this information and, and uh, yeah, this information forward. And, and if they feel like we're trying to sell something, then I think it makes our yeah. job a lot tougher. So what you try to do is you try to understand where they're coming from and listen, and then approach that all with humility. And again, that, that takes time to build that trust that Roger's been talking about. Yeah.
0: What do you really like about working with each other?
2: Oh, well, as you know, Roger is uh, a. <laughs> he, he can. Don't be uh, too honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, just has a great perspective and is able to see things beyond just your, your standard um, sound bite. So. Um, Roger really gets people to think about issues and challenges the ideas and the perspectives that they might have hel- had or held for a long period of time. So I think that's one thing that makes Roger really successful is how he gets other people to think and uh, really go deep in, in what they're, how they view an issue.
1: You get to do the same thing for him. So, right? so. <laughs> From that standpoint, I can say the same thing about Mike. I want to add, however, mm-hmm. one of the, the greatest things about, that I respect about Mike is that he does, in fact, listen. We've learned that we should listen. And instead, what we do is we just keep quiet until we're ready to talk. Mike, on the other hand, means very much when he says, you listen to the stakeholder, the partner, but he's analytical. To boot, this isn't just simply saying, you are right because you are the stakeholder. He's crafting a space in which we could both talk about what we need and what we want. And he's excellent at doing that, in creating that space in which science and society interact on a respectful level, but a rigorous level. Between us, we can find the right answer. And he crafts that situation in his dynamic, how he handles uh, the different frames that each of those brings to bear. And that's probably the most critical thing. here. That uncovering the frame that other people around the table have. The first thing that drives both of us is equity. It's the first thing. Are we making just decisions and just use of scientific information so that we're benefiting people of all stripes? I come from a very small village in the Caribbean of 400 people. Right? My interest in climate comes from seeing folks who, when the rains failed, their crops failed. And so Mike's point about people's livelihoods is critical. I also feel the same way about ecosystems and about animals. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that binds, I think, both of us is this notion that there is the environment, there's growth, but underlying all of that is a sense of equity regarding who is affected how and what capacity do they have to respond, ensuring that the people whose lives are impacted and the people who are funding our science are the ones who are benefiting from it. So they're in the discussion, they're in the opening. You will listen to what, what they're, they're saying, but you find a path for them to act. But you make sure that that path is informed, science is at the table when they're yeah. doing that. The most important thing we do is uncovering what people value. And then we make the science fit into what they need.
0: Equity is so important, and it's not the same as equality. The best example I've seen to explain this is a picture of three children of different heights on one side of a fence. and Some can see over and some can't. Equality is giving each of the children the same size stool to stand on to see over the fence. But that doesn't necessarily mean that each one of them will be able to see over the fence. Equity is ensuring that each child can see over that fence, which may involve giving them different size stools. Science communication is more than just sharing science with broader audiences. It's ensuring that everyone has an equal seat at the table. And I want to thank Roger and Michael for sharing their work with us. Thanks also to Greg Ruff for conducting this interview. If you've liked what you've heard, stay tuned for at least one more episode tucked in amongst your regular third pod episodes. From this scientist in the studio, to all of you out there in the world, thanks for listening to our stories.